try to get into things. Sometimes you're, you're seeing or leaving a daughter or a son at a, a school in college or um, seeing a, a little one ride the bus for the first time. There's just a lot of things going on. And so we felt it a good time to talk about what God has to say about worry because some of you are worrying right now. And last week, Pastor Steve got us off to a good start here by taking a look at one of the most famous sections in the Bible about worry. It's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus spoke in that section, and what he basically told us is this. The things that are important to you, like family, like finances, like faith, like health, the good news is those things are important to God too. The things that you're concerned about, the good news is the creator of the universe who has all power and loves you, those are the things that concern him as well. In fact, Jesus used this illustration. He said that, and it gets you thinking, doesn't it? He said that if God makes sure that the birds have enough food and they don't labor and they don't plant crops, well, then won't he also take care of us? And then, and this is a little bit of an aside. Remember last week, if you were here, Steve had mentioned that uh, you'll never see, you won't ever see a bird driving a little tractor or wearing bib overalls, and I'm adding now, or wearing a straw hat and a piece of wheat in its mouth. You'll never see that. Well, um, this might sound a little weird, but I wonder, you know, there's a lot of different things in this world. Is, I believe Steve in most ways, but is he sure that we would never see a bird riding a little tractor like that? You know, just because I haven't seen one doesn't mean so. He says I only work one day a week as a pastor. Um, I spent a little time, in case you're not laughing, that was a joke, it wasn't true. <laughs> I spent a little time checking to see if such a thing existed, just to check up on Pastor Steve. And uh, he's right. I could not find birds driving little tractors. But I did find this. There's pigs driving little tractors, wearing bib overalls. So just in case you were wondering, there's a lot of weird things out there. And in case you just now are worried about me as a person, that's perfect because we're talking about worry. So I don't want you to worry about that. Let's get back into our, our lesson. You can, there you go. Um, when we talk about worry, I think there's a huge distinction to make. There's much more that can be said just in one sermon. So I'm going to add to what was last week. There's this huge distinction between worry and concern. Okay? They're not the same thing. Concern, that is a responsibility, a looking towards the future with prayerful thought and eyes, that's not only okay, that's godly. In fact, if you were to say, hear Jesus say, don't worry, and felt like last any time you've heard that, just kick up your feet and don't think about anything, that would be wrong. God wants us to plan. He wants us to use our God-given abilities to think towards the future. That's concern. But worry, the difference is that there is a lack of trust involved with worry. There's a hopeless feeling involved with worry. Here's a tangible example. 
Staying up all night thinking about something is not concern. That's worry. Not being able to get something out of your mind because you're so distraught over what might happen, that's a clue. It's not concern. There's a hopelessness there. That's worry. And so our, our series is, don't, is not, don't leave concern behind. <laughs> Be concerned. But we don't have to worry. Now, last week, Jesus tells us, you know that worry thing? Stop it! Cut it out! And let me ask, for those of you who are here, based on that encouragement of God and the Spirit's work, um, raise your hand if you were here last week and you found yourself worrying less last week than you did before, or did the week before. A little less. I know I did. I know some of you might be a little nervous to raise your hand. I did. Uh, here's a different question. How many of you last week, just one week after hearing God's word, didn't worry at all? Not at all, not anxious at all. You heard Jesus say, stop it, and you did perfectly. You know why that is? Because worry is not something you can cure. Worry is not something that we'll ever get rid of fully this side of heaven. It will always show up. Worry, hopeless worry, is always a result of sin, hopeless worry. But the point of this series, this time together right now, is to have three weeks of building a foundation because our goal is not to take all your worries away or God, because that's just not going to happen, but is through God to worry less. In fact, this past week, I was talking to one of our, our uh, members and I, I said to her, I said, I think you worry less than you used to. And she agreed that she still worries, I still worry, but it's less than it used to be. And that, in a nutshell, is what God wants for you. Because we're sinful, we will worry. And then we bring that to him, and he forgives us, and we trust again, but we can worry less. And today, to help us, and the second week to encourage us in that, we're bumping into a question that never hit me the way it did in my study this week. A question that I hope you take with you when you're feeling in that pit of despair and worry, I want you to ask this question. And this will make more sense as we get into it. We're going to run into today a guy named Elijah. And for those of you who don't know, Elijah was a prophet back about 800 years before Jesus was born. So that's about, uh, what, uh, 2,800 years ago? And he came on, we did a series on him about two years ago, his whole life, and we learned that he came on during a time where there's this huge gap between God's will and what God wanted and what God's people were doing. And Elijah was called with the lucky job of being the one to stand in the gap. He had the lucky job of being able, or of, of telling people that didn't want to hear it, what God's will really was. It was a very hard job. What made it even harder is that the king and the queen at that time were just evil, evil people. In fact, they're so notorious for being evil that most of you will recognize their names, all right? Their names were King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, exactly. Now, 
Ahab was a guy who was supposed to be king and supposed to be in charge, but some commentators that I read, or at least one, said that likely the last decision Ahab ever made was to say, I do. And after that, it was, it was all Jezebel. Um, Jezebel was domineering. She was uh, wicked because she didn't believe in the true God. She was overbearing. She, in essence, was the king and an evil one at that. And so just before our section, Elijah, with God's blessing, was in charge of or oversaw the, the killing of almost 500 prophets of Baal. 500 people who are leading God's people away from the true God. God was okay with that. He judged them, and, and Elijah oversaw that. Now, you might wonder, or you could guess, how Jezebel reacted to that. She, being a worshiper of Baal, was not happy at all. So, what happens next? That's where we get into 1 Kings chapter 19. You can follow along on the screen if you'd like, or uh, even if maybe some of you have your, your personal Bibles, you can follow along there too. Now, <laughs> this figures, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, this prophet, to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Basically, tomorrow you're dead, Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. A great, great man of faith. How do you think a great man of faith responded to this threat? Not in the way you would have expected. I told you earlier, none of us are cured of worry. And in this moment, Elijah worries. Elijah is despairing over this threat of a very powerful lady, a very powerful queen. So what does he do? Verse 3, Elijah worried. He was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was supposed to be in the northern part of Israel. That's where God had called him. That's where he's supposed to do his work. Because of this threat, because of his worry about what could happen tomorrow, he went in the totally opposite direction. And it says not only that he went in the opposite direction, he ran in the opposite direction. He was getting out of there. He was worried. And where did he go? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there in Beersheba, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So, Elijah goes about 75 miles south, out of the country of Israel, where he was supposed to be, to the southern part of the next country, which was Judah. All right? And he's worried. He's despairing. He even says, you know, I don't want to be killed by Jezebel, but I feel like I want to die. We continue in verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now, every time we bump into this phrase in the Old Testament, I think it's important for us to just quickly remember what it is. The angel of the Lord is not like Michael or Gabriel. It's not um, one of God's angels. Actually, in the Old Testament, when we bump up into the angel of the Lord, does anyone remember who that is? Yeah, I heard it. Jesus. It's the Old Testament phrase to describe God's son. The only difference is he didn't have his body yet because he hadn't been um, uh, conceived into Mary yet. He, He was Jesus in the spirit, okay? Jesus in the spirit. Isn't it interesting that as Elijah, a saint, a prophet, and a sinner tries to flee from God, he still has faith. You notice what God doesn't do? Even though he's going in the wrong direction, God pursues him. God's son, Jesus, stays with him. If you're ever feeling like you're filled with worry, realize that by faith, Jesus is still there. He's still giving you strength for the day, even if your heart might be a little bit wavering at that moment. Gave him some food, and then listen to what Elijah does. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah hasn't woken up yet from his worry. Jesus is there, gives him food in a miraculous way, and he keeps going in the wrong direction. This time, 200 more miles. 40 days, 40 nights to a mountain called Horeb, which you probably don't recognize that name. But its uh, other name is Mount Sinai, the same mount on which Moses received the Ten Commandments, the same mount in which God often showed his presence. And so the Israelites would call it the Mountain of God because it kind of was considered a place where God hung out. And so Elijah wants to be with God. This shows his confusion. He wants to be with God. He goes to Mount Horeb, but he's in the middle of nowhere and he wants to die. Ever sound like you? A little confused? A little wavering back and forth? Verse 9. There on the mount, he went into a cave and spent the night. Now here's the question. The question that I want you to remember, the question that I'm going to remember The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And what are you doing here? Now, we might hear that question from God and think, what is Elijah doing here? There's this crazy lady with all the power of the kingdom and all the power of the soldiers who wants him dead. He's running from this crazy queen. What is Elijah doing here? He's doing exactly what I would do if someone was trying to chase me, if someone was trying to kill me. And in a lot lot of ways, we might have a little sympathy for Elijah and why he's worried and why he might travel so far. If he travels 275 miles, well then it's going to be kind of hard for Jezebel to kill him. And then Elijah does 
what we normally do when we're in the midst of worry. And I'm not trying to make light of your worry here because I'm making light of my worry too a little bit because sometimes we need to. But what he does is that same thing we do. He gives God his sad sob story. Oh, woe is me. Oh, if only God you knew. And listen, listen to what uh, Elijah says. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And he's talking to God. He's basically saying, I've served you. I've followed you. Look what I've done. And then, but... The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Oh, poor Elijah. He's in a tough situation. But when you read that, when you listen to that, if you didn't know anything about Elijah, you would have assumed that there wasn't one good thing that God had ever done for Elijah. If you were just to read that, knew nothing of his life, you would have thought that his life just stunk the whole thing. But that's not the truth at all. In fact... God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? Not because God needed to know. God knows everything. He asked Elijah because he wanted him to remember something. He wanted Elijah to be benefited by this question. He wanted Elijah to learn that there was nothing to be worried about. And just one day... Before this happened, his running, something that proved God's love and faithfulness happened. Uh, Here's the key, right, what I'm going to talk about right now. Here's the key to this this whole message, this this whole getting rid of worry more. Earlier I mentioned that Elijah was put in charge of the the overseeing of the the killing of almost 500 prophets of Baal. The question might arise, how did he get in that position? Why did he have that kind of control, that kind of authority at that moment? Well, to find the answer to that, you've got to go back just one chapter to chapter 18 and part of 17. And if, if you haven't ever read this section, or even if it's been a while, I'd encourage you to read it at home. But essentially, here's what happened. The prophets of Baal and their imaginary God and the prophet of God, Elijah, and the true God, there was a contest that was set up. A contest that was to prove once and for all who the real God was. This isn't a made-up fairy tale. This is very real. This, is, this actually happened. So they set up a day where they were going to both build their own altars, put a sacrifice of a bull on each one, And then the prophets of Baal were going to call upon their God to burn up the offering or to send fire. And then Elijah would call upon his God. Some of you remember this now? It's on the top of a mountain called Carmel. And so the prophets of Baal go first. 1 Kings 17 and 18. And they pray in the morning. And they pray. And they pray. And nothing happens. They begin shouting. They begin moving around. Around midday... Elijah, in a little bit of holy jest, starts yelling at him, saying, 
Hey, uh, maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. You need to wake him up from his slumber. He just needs to hear you shout a little louder. And clearly that wasn't the problem. They kept shouting. They started cutting themselves. It begins, it comes into the evening. It's dark. Morning to evening, nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn. True story. It's evening. Prophets of Baal have just finished. He says one prayer. You can find it in chapter 18. Take about 20 to 30 seconds to say. And fireball from heaven comes down and not only burns up the offering, totally destroys the wood, totally destroys the stone, totally evaporates all the water that they had poured on it. And in an amazing display of God's power and presence, God showed that he was the only true God and the prophets of Baal were put to death. When did that happen? One day before Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah. One day before, instead of sticking around, Elijah runs like a little baby who has no God on his side, runs south 275 miles. This happens one day before Elijah is so worried that he wants to die. When you have a powerful God like that on your side, I don't care who the queen is. Bring it on, huh? And here, let's set up a date. Let's meet on the top of Mount Carmel, because last time I was there, there's a little fireworks display that happened. I mean, you can have all the confidence in the world, but here's what happened to Elijah. He became worried about the future because he got, forgot God's faithfulness from the past. He became worried about the future, and yes, he didn't know the future, but what he did know and what he forgot was God's faithfulness from one day before, God's power and faithfulness from the past. Now, don't you love that question? What are you doing here? Don't you ever think that you need to ask yourself that question when you're so hopeless and, and staying up at night or maybe you still can sleep because you've worked so hard, but it's, it's morning to noon tonight that you're thinking about something, not because you're concerned, because you're worried. You see, we're often in places we shouldn't be. We find ourselves in places we shouldn't be. Sometimes it's physically. Sometimes physically we find ourselves in, in places where we've run. Maybe we've run from a job because we were so worried and we didn't want to fulfill the responsibilities that we knew we had there. Or, or we run from, um, physically from a town to get a, a different start. Or we, we run even sometimes from a relationship. We run physically like Elijah. I think most of the time we run emotionally. Got all these responsibilities but we, we run, and in our worry, we're not able to fulfill those. Or, or, or we run spiritually from God, and we start to put blame on him, and we find ourselves in places that we shouldn't be, and God, I pray now, 
will come to you and ask, what are you doing here, Ben? What are you, a child of God, one who knows the love of God? What are you doing here? And I suppose we might say, <laughs> easy for Elijah. He was on the top of Mount Carmel. I mean, if I saw a fireball from heaven, you know, I'd be stronger too. Maybe you haven't been there. But I don't know if she got it from here, this section. I don't think so. But my mom would always call days that you clearly see God's grace, you clearly see his faithfulness, you see how he's blessed you. You know what she called those days? Mountaintop days? We may not have been on Mount Carmel, but if you want to look for God's faithfulness, look in your past and you will see times. You will see mountaintop days. Maybe it was a time in your life where you just did not know how you're going to get out of the mess you were in. And in some ways, the mess you were in was related to something you had done. And maybe if it wasn't, it was a mess. And you look back on that now, and you're like, I still don't know how I got out of it, but I did, or I got through it. It's a mountaintop day. Maybe you lost a loved one too soon. And in the moment, you didn't know how you would even get through the next day. And it hasn't been easy. But if you're to be honest today, you're coping, handling it better than you would have ever imagined. That's not an accident. That's God's faithfulness. It's a mountaintop day. Maybe your mountaintop day is by just taking a moment to stop. And instead of giving God your sob story like Elijah, instead of me giving him my sob story, that I take time to think back and to just look around to see the families we've been given, the homes we're allowed to live in, the jobs we have, the cars that maybe aren't our favorite, but they work. Maybe today is your mountaintop day. And I suppose some of you here today have had so much difficulty in your life that it's hard for you to even think about anything, like to relate to anything I've just said. I find that hard to believe. But if it's true, you may not have been to Mount Carmel, but let me take you to Mount Calvary. Let me take you to the, the mount on which God's son died. And, and if you go there with me in your heart and mind as we, we know it through the scripture, we may not see a fireball come down from heaven, but hanging there is God's son come down from heaven. And you may not see bulls being blown away by fire, but, but you see Jesus faithfully fulfilling your salvation and mine by willingly sacrificing himself. And it didn't happen because of God's faithfulness to one prayer of Elijah. But Mount Calvary, where millions of prayers over centuries of time, 
that God waited, but ultimately proved to be faithful as he sent his son to be our savior. The, the, the greatest example of God's faithfulness, of forgiveness for warriors like you and me. Now to close, I, I kind of want to get us back to the question as we close here. What are you doing here? Um, some of you know that uh, two weeks ago, my uh, family and I had a chance to go to South Dakota, the Mount Rushmore area, the Black Hills, Needles Highway, all that stuff. And uh, I have to say that while a few weeks ago I had said that um, the Corn Palace didn't live up to expectations, um, Mount Rushmore and all that area, that kind of exceeded expectations. I think even Carrie would agree with that. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was so cool. I think I, think I, even, I even think we might be going back someday. So that's, that's a good sign. Um, one of the things I noticed while we were out there is as you drive to the peak, like where Needles Highway is and that, that sort of tunnel through the rock, for those of you who have been there, you're very high in elevation. You're up there, at least for that area, you're very high. And I noticed as we did in one day, go through that tunnel and then go down a little ways and finally end up in the area of Custer Park, which is the wilderness loop. I remember looking back, I wanted to see where we were. I wanted to see where Needles, the Needles Highway was. And, but for those of you who have been there, can you see it? No. The thing is, when you're in a valley, it's hard sometimes to see the mountain, but it's still there. See where I'm going? When you're worried and anxious and stressed out, there might be a good reason for it, yes. You're in a valley, and the way that God wants us to handle it the way he wants to grow us in our trust is even though you can't see it and it's hard to really remember it at the moment and it's hard to glob onto it, to know, to look back and to see the mountaintop. To look back and to see God's faithfulness. And if, if you have to think, I'd look all the way back, 2,000 years to Mount Calvary, then do it. I don't think you have to look back that far. But if you do, then go back that far. And you will see God's amazing faithfulness in the past that will give you confidence as you look towards the future. Let's pray.